Good evening, Baltimore, and hello, America. Welcome to the Relationship Experience. This is a place where shift happens, and a lot of shift is going on tonight. Uh, we discuss both trending and not so trending topics around health, wellness, and spirituality, ultimately to bring the most important relationship of all into focus, and that's the one with yourself. It's always an honor to speak with you, and of course, you can join the conversation. You're going to want to join tonight at 410-319-8888. As I mentioned, every, uh, every show uh, we talk about the theme, so this month is perseverance. Tonight's topic is undoing racism. We're going to describe, well, attempt to describe whiteness, but we're going to have white men at the table. So that's going to be a big celebration. Let's give it up for the white males that came in today. <laughs> so they're going to <laughs> exactly they're going to discuss race with us in an honest and, and not a, a, a condescending way. Uh, of course, you can follow up on all of our conversations by emailing me directly at soulspotatchangabell.com, or you can send a direct message to Twitter or Instagram at at Changabell. We usually Facebook Live. I think the producer is going to have that going on tonight, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in studio tonight, we have a cornucopia of lovely people. So, uh, real intelligent. Because it's National Women's Day, uh, International Women's Day, I called an audible. Uh, so, we are definitely going to speak about race and, and attempt to define whiteness. But I wanted to make sure we had some powerful women's voices at the table uh, this evening. So, uh, in studio, we have Ben Youngsevich. He is an amazing, and I said your name right. You were close. Young Savage? Young Savage. Ben Young Savage, <laughs> Young Savage. He's a, a phenomenal artist, and uh, he just has a very interesting uh, perspective on race and, and in Baltimore, and and does a lot of uh, activism through his art and other things. But we'll let Ben introduce himself. We have Kelly Bigelow of uh, Bentlow Street, Baltimore. That was uh, the way I was told that I'm going <laughs> to introduce herself. And we have Dorothy Renoy, who is a forensic scientist. Did I get that right? All right. So. Um, Two more guests will be joining us later. We'll have Martin Friedman and Michael Scott from the People's Institute of uh, Survival and Beyond. They are doing a series of Undoing Racism uh, conferences here in Baltimore. That's how we met. Really powerful topics, uh, uh, very emotive uh, conversation, especially uh, because of the, the folks in the room. So we have black, white, Asian, Latino. But uh, we really sort of, it's a, it's a comeuppance and an interesting thing uh, for the white folks in the room to have this candid discussion about race. Uh, so let's start, um, Ben, with you. And, and I would like, um, well, why don't you introduce yourself and speak about uh, this topic of, of whiteness. What do you have to say about it? All right, yeah. So, yes, my name is Benjamin Young Savage. Um, I grew up in, uh, in northern Quebec on a uh, very small Native American, we call them First Nations land. Um, and uh, I think whiteness is fluid. I think whiteness is a slippery beast and that it changes for its own self-preservation. Um, it has changed for its own self-preservation and uh, brought in people and excluded other people just so it could survive. Um, so, yeah, that's, I think that's the main thing that anybody should know about whiteness is that it will try to finagle its way to survive as a construct. Yeah, and, I, you know, it's interesting you said it that way. That's why it's definitely um, 
uh, part of this month on persevering because one to undo racism, which is essentially to undo whiteness and blackness. Right, undo uh, race. Yeah, yeah, undo, undo race as a whole is going to take a lot of perseverance from both sides of the fence. Um, uh, Kelly, that seemed to have a slight reaction in you while, while Ben was talking. What, what did you want to say on that uh, on that point? Come, I just found come a little closer. Yeah. I just found it. Just the first sentence alone was amazing to the grandiose of whiteness that it's this construct where where to be on to be honest it's it's a it's a false narrative um so to to talk about it as if it is a thing gives it weight mm-hmm. it it takes up room it gives it mass mm-hmm. so that that struck me. Like wow, first just leading right in, whiteness, yeah, noun, verb, and, and everything in between. That that's that's a heavy statement. Well, that well, you know, that's what I love about it. When I when I met Ben uh, for the first time, it was my first, uh, and you know, and I've been educated as as one of three black boys and in, in like a school in a class of three hundred and fifty. Uh, you know, it, it was always that sort of situation, but uh, and and hopefully Ben will offer his testimony uh, a little later or or maybe immediately in the show. But it was my first encounter with uh, whiteness as a construct and not as a real um, a real thing. And it, it reminds me of the, when I'm working with youth and talking to them about uh, you know trying to get them to to get and understand mindfulness. I say to them, I say, is is elec- electricity good or bad? And they say, oftentimes they say bad. And I'm like, oh, wow, how's it bad? You know, you get your food, you cook. And then they say, all right, well, good. And I say, well, what about when people get tased to death or we, we put people in an electric chair? And they say, well, I guess it's bad. And I say, you know, someone to say, well, it's neither. It's neither good or bad. And I say, exactly. It's, it's neutral. It's our application of it. Well, whiteness is in a similar kind of construct. What would that produce a reaction? Yeah, right? I, I don't, I, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I do yeah. not believe that it is neutral. You don't, I believe believe that, the you don't believe that white, whiteness is neutral. I believe that the concept of race is not neutral. The well, concept of race is a lie. No, but well, that, that the, the the concept of of breaking human beings into a species is right. a lie. So when 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 whiteness was created and and made uh, blackness a subspecies, that's the lie. But in terms of it being a construct, whiteness can be used for good, as we often see when someone will speak up or for someone. Uh, someone else's behalf. So you can use mm. this construct as a sword of of good or evil. And the civil rights movement happened large in part because whites, whiteness and blackness came together. So, of, of course, go ahead, Kelly. When? <laughs> when? When did they come together? No. When has whiteness been used for good? Well, that's what I'm just saying. That so it was yeah. a, a it was a coalition of black and Jewish people that, uh-uh. that, uh-uh. Those that are individuals. Also, those are individuals. Right. When collectively has whiteness been good? Well, there is no black collective if you're going to use it in that definition, and there is no white collective. So the the, ah, well, the right, armament right. the armament of people coming together is is a collective. So the individuals make up the collective, no. I, I'm going to have to agree with her. I do not believe that whiteness has been used for good. Whiteness has not been used for good. I, I Rewinds. You can't sterilize the funk out of something that stinks. 
it is tell us how you what really feel. it <laughs> is because it's been what it's been right and and this and, and let, let me just put this on you for a minute when when you learn about different cultures and civilized civilizations the Greeks oh they were the founders of democracy and and uh, revolutionary in art and and uh, you know um, the Renaissance brought you you, you know um, da Vinci and and uh, inventions and when you speak about that collective of people and you analyze them it is it is based on their contributions good bad and ugly when you analyze and you're taught about the Egyptians and, and they duplicated this and, and the, the mathematics that was used for the uh, pyramids, that is how we view that collection of people in retrospect. How do you view white people if all they've done is go around this world, rape, pillage, enslave, subject, and that is their resume? Well, I think what good... I'm not talking about individuals. No, no, I think you're talking about conditioning, and it's a very relevant point. Uh, no, I'm talking about actual happenstance where this is what you do, this is what you are. If you've gone around this world and you gave syphilis and killed all the Taino Indians in South America, you are what you are. If you're Christopher Columbus and you chopped the hands off of indigenous folks, then you are what you are. If you um, enslaved, kidnapped, you know, a group of people from a continent, because we do know Africa is a continent and not a country, right? Then you are what you are. If you create laws and manifest a, a system to subjugate the very people who you're scared are going to retaliate so you against that, you, you, then you that, are what you when are. When you say the you, who is the you that did you that? You broadly as white folk. All right, so that's great. So this is a great time to, to introduce <laughs> Michael Scott to the conversation hey, of the People's yeah. Institute of Survival and Beyond. Michael, did you catch uh, some of that discourse, or where, where did you come I, in I, on I that? I think we're talking about whiteness, right? Yeah, we are talking about so, whiteness. What, so, is, what so, is some of your view on the historical perspective that was just broken down, and then we get the brother uh, Martin in uh, on the conversation as well? Well, absolutely. Now, I can't wait to hear Martin, because I, I know where he's coming from, but I mean, you know, we just finished a workshop where we talked about the construction of whiteness yeah. um, and, and how that dehumanizes uh, both people of color and white folks as well. Sure. And it's multi-generational. It's dehumanizing. Um, and the way that it dehumanizes uh, white folks is that it, it separates them from their humanity because of internalized racial oppression in the form of superiority. <clears throat> and, you know, in the same way we know... Uh, people of color are dehumanized by internalized racial oppression in the form of inferiority. So, you know, in terms of how that works dynamically within individuals, and then I think I heard folks talking about the collective uh, uh, acts um, and, and the legal construction of whiteness, because, uh, you know, there's 50 to 100 Supreme Court cases where people sued to become white in this country um, because they didn't know, you know, well, what am I? I'm not black, and I'm coming in as an immigrant, and so I need to figured out so so yeah I, I caught some of that martin welcome hey. to the show martin oh thank you i was gonna say hey to everybody <laughs> um, hey everybody hey. I'm, uh, martin freeman i'm a, a trainer and organizer with the people's institute for survival and beyond and uh just want to give them attribution because you know my understanding and the understanding that we move forward with as organizers is the understanding that whiteness is a a, a false construct right. that's been made real in our lives and that um, once 
we go through the, the, the machinations of becoming white, we're connected to all that history that you spoke of, regardless whether our ancestors actually did those acts. Um, the construction of whiteness does not exist without uh, all of the overt colonizing and oppression that, that was laid out um, in terms of the, you know, the Dayanu Indians and, and, and uh, indigenous folks, folks indigenous to the African continent, folks indigenous to what we now call North America. Um, you know, there's so much intentional uh, death and destruction that was used to lay the foundation of, of whiteness. Um, I think for those of us that have come to be called white, which includes myself, uh, we're on the road right now to, to understand what it means to deconstruct whiteness out of ourselves as individuals and also to deconstruct whiteness as the ruling construct which continues to kill uh, black and brown bodies. And many of us those that have come to be called white essentially are getting to a place where we're saying no longer will we allow this, these atrocities to be done in our name. And uh, that's where I'm sitting right now. Yeah, well, that that was lovely. Did uh, did any one of the panelists want to come in on the end of that? I got a question. Yeah, what's the question, Kelly? When you fill out a job application, they ask you to fill out your demographics. Do you check the box as white? As white? Absolutely. Okay. So in owning that, I I I, I understand. At least I'm trying to understand what your purpose is um, and what you are communicating what, what you wish your directive to be. Mm-hmm. But in the end, you check that box as white, which means you own the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the benefit of it. So forgive me if I'm a little pessimistic when it comes to white folk on my behalf. Because it don't exist as far as I'm concerned. And those that claim that, that still check that box, suspect to me. So, so that, that's, a, that's an interesting point of view. What do you, what do you feel about that in, uh, in terms of can personal power champion institutional power? And, and before, before anyone sort of unpacks that question, uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Relationship Experience on your source for Cool Jazz and More, WEAA 88.9 FM, The Voice of the Community. We're talking about unpacking and undoing racism here in Baltimore. We're joined with Michael Scott and Martin Friedman of the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond, Ben Youngsevich, Dorothy Vernoy, and also Kelly Bigelow. Uh, I'm your host, Shanga Bell. Please call in if you have any uh, comments or thoughts on what we're talking about. So that last question of if uh, an institutional power can be subverted by personal power? Uh, I think first that your feelings need to be validated. I think that's something that uh, needs to be said, that you know the way that you feel about white people and about white people and their influence on your life is something that's valid. How do I feel about white people? I don't know all the details, but um You've been pretty vocal. I think that so if you if you make it like a if you put it in an analogy of like a, a rape victim, if you ask uh you can't ask a, a rape victim to um trust their raper if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's something that you can't demand. And so um, 
I do think that um, people of color all across the world have been raped by this construct called whiteness. And so, you know, however they feel about whiteness is valid and nobody should force them to feel any other way than they're feeling. And, and, and some, uh, some of the people uh, ascribe to it. So some people want to assimilate, right. you know, so it's, it's interesting. And, and we talk about that. Uh, we've talked about that in, uh, in, the, in the conference that, uh, you know, like Michael just mentioned, that people sue to actually be considered white. Uh, I myself in my personal journey uh, came to, to love and, and marry the word sovereignty, which I realized was just mm. something that was given to me by God. I didn't mm. need to assimilate or otherwise. Let's, uh, we have a caller on the line. It's an unknown caller. Uh, anonymous. Let's let's see who it is, and and or is it? Is it? I'm getting the finger of pause. All right, so we'll just go ahead and move on. We'll pick up that call in a second. Uh, through the notes. Did you want to say something? Mark? Well, yeah, I don't know if uh, Martin wanted to respond, but I mean, I, I think he said it earlier is that it's about organizing, right? Which is relational, and it's about building your 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 awareness, your your language, your practice that mm-hmm. that has accountability attached to that you know, beyond yourself, right? And, and I mean, I think it's important to note that, <clears throat> at least in, in how we understand racism, um, and, and certainly it's not equivalent, right? So people of color have, have borne the brunt, but it is important to say that white folks have been dehumanized too by racism, right? And so, you know, for me, that's the big turn is that, you know, I don't need folks to do this out of altruism or guilt, but out of their own self-interest to, to right. reclaim right. the bits of their humanity that they've lost mm-hmm. as, as they've benefited from this constructive thing called whiteness that, you know, certainly privileges them over us, but has cost them, right? And mm-hmm. things done in their name, done by their ancestors. Um, and, and we see that when we, when, you know, when we do certain exercises as we build this narrative and build this analysis uh, that, we, that we often do. So I, I, I just wanted to put that out there. It's not, now, that's not a, uh, a equivalency to say that, you know, white folks' um, dehumanization is equivalent to black folks in terms no. of the, the depth. So we're not we're not doing we're not going to play the false equivalence again. But what we're saying very clearly is that there is a cost to whiteness That's as right. well for white folks. So you mean sometimes they feel bad? No, no, no. There's, I, there's no, actual there's monetary cost. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and that don't make you feel bad. And we and we <laughs> and, and and there's some statistics on on yeah. what's rising in terms of depression and, and opioid use and everything. Let's we have yes. uh, Karen on the line. Let's let her chime in. Karen, uh, you're on the relationship experience. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, Tango, thank you for having this program. Uh, I want to just make a comment, sister. You are on point. I'm, just, I'm sitting here clapping as you're talking. Uh, to the gentlemen who have the seminar, um, I'm not quite sure I understand the purpose of what you're trying to do. Are you trying to have it so that everybody has a kumbaya moment or that uh, <laughs> helping white people feel uh, less guilty? Uh, because I just think that white people should be talking to white people to get them to realize that they do have white skin privilege. And unless that's acknowledged and white folks understand how selfish most of them are, um, and how how they their privilege, their white skin privilege has made them on top in this country. We're never going to get to um, have normal relationships. So, if you can understand what I'm saying, and I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you, Changa. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Karen. And and I think uh, hopefully Dorothy Chaman, uh a little bit later, uh, you know, because we were having this conversation sort of off the record, and and I was talking about dominant culture and and. Uh, she corrected me in her opinion of the distinction between culture. What did you say, Dorothy? Um, I'm of the mindset that the American culture is actually black culture. 
everything that oh. sells monetary here has began at some point and level from black American struggle, um, even back to slavery. You look at the music, country, jazz, um, your bluegrass. Uh, now you don't predominantly see African Americans in that. And I'm not taking any struggle away from any other group, but particularly my community. Um, that's what sells, you know, now what you see young urban kids doing. And I hate that term urban. I feel like that's just <laughs> cold language anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, now it sells over, it crosses over, but they don't want to see the brown skin person doing it that much. And then I know people are going to pull, but you have Jay-Z, you have Beyonce, you have these people. So for everyone that makes it out and makes it okay for the large majority of us that don't. Um, so when people tell me like, oh, come together, this is the American culture. I kind of, I'm a little taken back by that. Am I proud of my heritage here? Absolutely. Am I happy to be a woman of color here in the United States after my travels? Absolutely. Um, I have more rights, but I also know because I have to put black in front of American, that black signifies that you could take every single right I have away. Mm-hmm. So so do you have to put black in front of it is, is the first question. And then I, I definitely want uh, to ask you, I know you just got back from Afghanistan and, and you have a very high security clearance. I'm not going to talk too much in detail about that. <laughs> but uh, being, being, being that you are, being that you are a, a and I don't even like labels like this, but are you a natural sister? Like, you keep your hair natural. How are you received in these sort of, I would assume, predominantly white spaces, environments? How, how is it uh, being in, in your mode, modality of blackness? Because I believe there are different modalities, right? We have these uh, in, in our culture. We have, like, natural brothers and corporate brothers and, you know, all these various levels of... Uh, False narratives. Yeah, too. if you call them, to me, what I call them is, is just different forms of assimilation or whatever. But how are you received and, and, and what, is, um, what does that feel like? Um, I refer to it as having two computers. The way I talk to you one-on-one and the way I do things professionally, um, they vary. Now, because of where I grew up in a predominantly Caucasian environment, um, people are shocked by things. I listen to country music. Some people are shocked by that. But then also listening to my voice and hearing my name, I've had people professionally tell me, I'm shocked that you are a young African-American. I thought you were an older Caucasian woman because of my name, because of my emails, because I can carry myself in a professional manner. Um, Whatever that means, right? Yeah, Yeah. I don't. That's (laughs) like telling me I talk well. That's just making my blackness more palatable for you. That's Martin, all professional. Listen. Martin, right. could you break down a little bit and, and then, you know, I definitely want to give everybody uh, a chance to speak, but you had uh, some interesting knowledge that I, that I learned from the conference in terms of uh, breaking down ca- Caucasoid, Mongoloid, you know, just the, uh, the intentional um, uh, construct of racism in a pedagogical context, how it was bought in, in the year that it, was, it really came into mm-hmm. to being and everything. Could you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. At, at first, I just want to be really clear. So, Nothing kumbaya about what we do. What we do is called Undoing Racism. The work was developed by two African-American men, uh, Ron Chisholm, who's the current executive director, and Dr. Jim Dunn out of Antioch University in Yellow Springs, Ohio. It started in 1980. Um, Those of us that are white and do this work, we do this work with other white people primarily. I'm not, I'm not trying to teach people of color anything. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the reason why I'm sitting in this seat is because Chang and Devana went through the training, um, you know, a couple weeks ago. And, and found value. And so I just, I just want to be really clear about that. There's nothing kumbaya. And also, just want to be really clear, you mentioned behalf. You said you don't need anybody to do anything on your behalf. And I'm with you 100%. 
everything that I'm trying to say, and I hope I can be clear about it, is that that you know we have lost we those of us that have come to be called white have lost humanity. Mm-hmm. That's not a kumbaya terminology. Right. And it's your fault. You know, we have we yeah absolutely we have been connected to to a, a, a history the exact history that I acknowledged earlier that we've been connected to. The, there was a false scientific construct that was put in place about three to four hundred years ago that Cheng is talking about, developed by Europeans, by scientists like Linnaeus, Buffon, and Blumenbach. And they did create this taxonomy um, which put white at the top as the model of humanity. They called it caucasoid. It was based on false ideas of skulls and bones that were found. They put black, they took black out of the family of humanity, and they, they called it negroid, about a color instead of a place, right? In between that, we put Asian as mongoloid, and we put uh, everybody else who's combined with indigenous as Australoid, right? And so that was created like between the 1600, late 1600s and really into the early 1800s. It's a false scientific construct that everybody knows that, that has any kind of intelligence isn't real. But what happened in this country was that that false construct, that false taxonomy was put into the legal system, put into every system and institution in this country to disproportionately benefit those who could come to be called white. And as I'm I'm very freely acknowledging, connects us to all the horrors that you mentioned, every every one of them. Um, And it's for the purpose of establishing and maintaining privilege. The woman on the phone talked about white skin privilege. We go even farther, and, and really, we call it white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And we say that all of us that come to be called white, regardless of what we in, our intent, how pure our heart is, or anything else about us, we are um, automatically connected to white supremacy. And the reason why I check the box white doesn't have anything to do with any kind of pride is because I've done this work long enough to know that I can put human or Jew or whatever else I want to put, and the people that do actually take that, whatever that is that I'm doing, they're going to assign me their race, and they're going to assign me white. Mm-hmm. Based on my name, based on where I live, they're going to assign me white. So, so the box checking, really, to be really honest, the box gets checked for us. Um, as our co-founder, Ron Chisholm, says, he says, if you don't know what race you are, ask the police. Yeah, um, you the police will make sure, <laughs> right. you know. Right. And uh, <laughs> so I have no... I have no uh, I have no um, confusion about who I am in this construct, but I also have no confusion about who I want to be, and I want to be a human being that is no longer defined by whiteness. In order for that to happen, everybody else has to be liberated too. Your liberation comes first before mine does, but my liberation is now tied into yours. Not kumbaya, not doing anything for you, but that's, that's, that's where I'm so coming from. So let, let me ask you this. Where do Hold you live? Real quick, okay. we're going to get that on the other side of the break. Let me encourage uh, Don, who's holding. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to you as soon as we get back from the break. So please stay tuned, and uh, we'll get you after this break. I can only include what they feel from the state of their institutions. I don't know if white Christians hate Negroes or not, but I know that we have a Christian church which is white and a Christian church which is, which is black. 
I know, as Malcolm X once put it, that the most segregated hour in American life is high noon on Sunday. That says a great deal for me about a Christian nation. It means that I can't afford to trust most white Christians and certainly cannot trust the Christian church. I don't know whether the labor unions and their bosses really hate me. That doesn't matter, but I know I'm not in their unions. I don't know if the real estate lobby is anything against black people, but I know the real estate lobbies keep me in the ghetto. I don't know if the Board of Education hates black people, but I know the textbooks that give my children to read and the schools that we have to go to. Now, this is the evidence. You want me to make an act of faith, risking myself, my wife, my woman, my sister, my children, on some idealism which you assure me exists in America, which I have never seen. Back, you're listening to your source for cool jazz and more WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. I'm your host, Changa Bell, on the relationship experience. Uh, let's unpack James Baldwin. Let's go to the phones and let Don, she was hanging on uh, for a minute from Glenn Burney. Don, welcome to the relationship experience. No, I agree with you. Yeah, my question is if does white privilege, would a person have white privilege if they're in a different country, if they go to Africa? Or say China, do they still maintain their white privilege? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere they go, and, and you know, and that that's sort of a, a and that's a great question. I, I find that to be somewhat of a slippery slope. I lived in in Central Europe, and I lived in. Um, well, I stayed in Africa for a little bit. I lived in South America, and there was also black privilege. There's a, a privilege of being a black American that you get to carry around. Uh, I could walk through Central Europe in the middle of the night and not be scared because I know I could just stomp once and go boo, and, and, and people would scatter because they had already seen the wire. Uh, people thought they were racist enough to think that I was Kanye West. I got stopped all the time. Are you Kanye? And I was like, uh, not really, but... What would you do if you met Kanye? You know, so it, you know, there is um, some other other privilege uh, associated with blackness too. Tying uh, it in directly to Baldwin, that's one of the reasons why he moved to Paris for right. a yeah. period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes, you know, where your attention goes, your energy flows, and a lot of times we give a lot, uh, we give too much credit to whiteness. Uh, no one has the right to validate me, to affirm me, who I am, and often that's why I find myself out on the street and, and jobless mm-hmm. and had to be an entrepreneur because, you, you know. It, it just comes along with, with being me. John, you're on the phone. Uh, you're on the relationship <laughs> uh, relationship experience. Uh, John is a, a caller that should be coming in. Where you at, Hello, John? can you hear me? Yes, sir. Hey, how you doing? Hey. Um, good. I wanted to say two things that I thought were really cool. I really like the discussion of whiteness as a continuum. And I also think that I'm... Obviously, like, I'm a white person, so my perspectives are going to be different. And I'm not going to have to deal with the same injustice. But I think when having conversations with race, it's really important to almost, like, acknowledge what has happened, but not replace people into old stereotypes. So, like, if you have a discussion um, on whiteness, I feel like it's important to be like, okay, this is like historically who white people were, but now we're in this new world and we have a chance to start writing a legacy that's something very different. So, so I, I think, I think, I think one of the characteristics of white organizational um, culture or, or white culture is this ability to be an individual. Right, like that. That is, white folks are the only folks that get to be an individual. The rest mm-hmm. of us are collectivized. And so, what Martin was yeah. talking about is that you have to be, is, you know, it's fine to be a good person, fine to do the right thing, but you also have to be connected 
to that larger legacy, right? And I and I think that's difficult, more difficult for folks to navigate uh, who are white and who who need to sit with the pain of that and 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 connected to this. Because because if I had power and and could not be connected to it, I, I might not want to do it either. But th- but that connection is what gives you humanity back that you've lost in the bargain of becoming white. And so I think it's I like that. And I, I think so. I think it's important to not allow folks to be an individual when when talking about their whiteness because that removes them from the way that whiteness has been collectivized on your behalf which has caused the brutalization and and and, and death yeah. of many people of color so i just want to caution around the the notion that this western notion of individualism which is at the core of white culture is 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 uh something that we don't need to examine that's a really good point i just need Mr. Scott, who's a really long, long, long time friend of mine, to clean that statement up because it's not about white people who can be individuals. It's white men are the only ones that get to be individuals. White women still fighting to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. let's clean that up. So well, second, John, correct? Yeah. Uh, how old are you? I'm 23. Ah. So I kind of don't really care about your the anguish in in your um tortured delivery and and you know i'm 48 years old and the introduction was kelly bigelow from 820 north bentlow street west side are you from baltimore no but you're um in- i was i've done i've done like activism work with different groups and things like that and i found the conversation really and- interesting and i was calling in just because it's something that I've been like meditating on as someone who is white with privilege, and oh, poor you, and how to how to create dialogue between people. So, um, so here's my of, question to you: What is it that you want? I mean, ultimately, I want equality for everyone. Okay, so have a seat. And what I mean by that is. We we kind of at the place where we ain't feeling y'all right now, and you're surprised by it. We feel about y'all the way you feel about us, and it hurts y'all. I kind of don't care about the 20-year-olds um, who are living in Baltimore, but you want to talk about mending fences and, and, and being aware of your pain, but you don't live on Bentlow Street, do you? Well, we're going to go ahead. And, and, John, thank you. I appreciate your call. And yeah. I, think, I think it's a great perspective. Keep doing your activism work. Um, part of what we learn uh, together in this Undoing Racism conference, and, and Kelly brings up that point, is that for whiteness or as a construct or white people that associate with it when they do, whenever they choose not to, whatever, sit with the discomfort. Because imagine that discomfort that you feel, I'm, I'm a father of six, and if I get pulled over by a white uh, police officer in a car, imagine the discomfort I suddenly feel when I remember, oh, yeah, shoot, I'm black today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the sitting with the discomfort is a place to start. Part of what comes along with white privilege is the ability to sort of fix things, to sort of call an uncle, call a a, a, a friend, um, and rearrange policy. Uh, this is a little different than that. I think it's great that we're all at least being able to dialogue, and uh, and I, I definitely appreciate even uh, Kelly's tone because we don't have to be apologetic, right? Because no one apologizes to us when we get shot in the back eight times. They don't. They they start an anti movement, a Blue Lives Matter movement. 
the very next day, they spit in your face, they, they shoot 17-year-olds. I don't know if you've seen some of our malnourished so-called urban kids. They're really malnourished. Uh, it, it's not that they look gorgeous and have six-packs just because they do. It's that they're not eating. So I think, uh, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't apologize for her tone or ask her to tone it down because that's, that's the voice of the community, mm. and it's necessary, <laughs> it's needed at the table. Uh, but I would just invite you, John, to, uh, you know, and I know you're not still with us, but to sit with the discomfort and then um, act, act on that discomfort mm-hmm. and speaking with, uh, you know, your relatives, your immediate community so we can change because we, I, I think you're right, right now, we probably all do want a kumbaya moment, but the acknowledgement doesn't. It needs to be about that. No, um, not everybody. Yeah, yeah I said not we might. Everybody. I said we might, but what we need to acknowledge is that uh, all of the, the blood <laughs> and the things that were spilled uh, beforehand. Let's go ahead and take uh, another caller. Uh, who was first here? I think we had um, John Bowie, uh, John from Bowie on the line. Hello, how are you? How are you doing, John? I'm doing well this evening. I, I just fortunately stumbled on your conversation. I, I really just had one question. I didn't get to hear all of this conversation, but there's a book called Making Whiteness, and I was wondering mm-hmm. if anybody had mentioned that or if you were aware of it or if it had been any part of uh, anybody's, I guess, journey through this whole issue of whiteness and race and all the things that it, it brings about in the world, not just in America but in the entire world. Sure. Yeah, we're, we're, we're familiar with it. There's some other great yeah. books, Invention of the White Race, History of White People, mm-hmm. Fallacy of Race, Matter of Color. There's some amazing books out there that really talk yeah. about the construction of whiteness. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to put that out there, and I want to thank you thank for you, this sir. conversation. I'm 65 years old, yes, sir. and I've been battling this issue all of my life, and i, I got to tell you, the first time I ever felt free was when I went to Europe. Believe it or not, I just didn't have that feeling of people either looking at me in a negative way or as if I was uh, less than they were. I wasn't feeling like I was followed when I went in stores. Um, And it was a wonderful feeling. But it also made me feel very bad about my own country. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'd say to most black Americans, travel, travel, go somewhere else, go outside this country. So that you can see who you really are because other people they may be prejudiced but they don't have that stereotypical slavery attitude about us oh wait well well, well thanks <laughs> thanks john we'll let kelly comment uh, on that off okay. there thank I, you for calling real quick can we be real clear can we be real clear about the european experience where the 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 free labor i'm sorry yeah, the slavery sure, came sure. from let's be real clear the difference be p- between being honored and being showcased. Mm-hmm. And you mean like that? Exoticized. I, I, yeah. 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 Ooh. Yeah. What? Ooh. Ooh. Like, like, uh, uh, like your friend Dr. Ooh. Ben Carson said uh, uh, about us being immigrants. Let me tell you about Ben. Ben need to come see me. You just opened up ben a box, sir. You just opened up a box. Me. All right, we're gonna take we're gonna take another. Need to come see me. We're gonna take another call at George. Take we have see. George from Washington D.C. on the line. George, welcome to the relationship experience. Thank you, thank you, and thank you, Kelly. Thank you for being there and putting these gentlemen straight. <laughs> uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Changa. You cannot uh, take this. Uh, go on with this conversation until. Thousands of thousands of white, young white people have read their black history books, and also our own black children have read their history books. Okay? Yeah, uh, no, I, I agree with that. 
uh, and I understand that you kind of, I don't, I don't really know where you're going with this, but uh, if you think for one minute that uh, any black, any white child was born without being told by their parents not to mess with black people, then you got a sad story coming. Okay? Kenneth, uh, do you have children? Who? Do you have children? I have two children. And what did you teach your children? I think I taught my children to love themselves first and 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 read the history okay about where they where they came from and who did what they did to our grandparents my son asked me why was he light light skin i said because it was a product of rape okay okay do you understand what I'm saying when I say a product of rape? Was meaning yeah, I have absolutely. to go there with you? Meaning I, that the I, white I, man. I understand. I understand what you're saying because okay. uh, because I understand my history. I understand my history to. Well, I want. I want. I'm gonna share my history with you from 1848 that my grand my great grandmother was bought and sold four times and that she was 100 percent Cherokee and that she was bought by a German Jewish man and had 14 of his kids. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So I, I really am clear on my my uh, history. Let me but, watch, let me but I appreciate one, but I appreciate I appreciate your call and uh, we'll have to take uh, more of your energy off the air. Thank you, sir. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, did you want to comment on that, uh, Dorothy, before we go to Ayana? Uh, I, the most important thing is definitely what I realized. Um, I know we're talking about whiteness, but I didn't realize what whiteness was or, like, what it meant, what the construct was, until I got the reaction of what my pride in being black did mm. to mm-hmm. white right. people. Yeah. So yeah. I'm coming from a background of... We were raised Malcolm X in our family. You're strong enough to pass a lick, you're strong enough to receive a lick. And then things changed in the school, you know, taking weapons and females fighting like boys and things of that nature. Um, But so I understand the caller means and taking pride in knowing your history. I learned my history at home. But there even I went through a period of questioning my privilege as a now I'm brown skin. Finally, I realized that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but being the lighter person in my family, what that meant where I grew up, as far as because of my family structure, what that meant to um, the dominant culture there, the dominant uh, Caucasian people there. Um, but losing a little bit of pride in being black because somebody else saw it as negative, as less than. So there's also that narrative there. You have to teach your young to know where they come from and take pride in that and understand that, yes, there is a painful history there, but you are not that history. You are better Mm -hmm. than that. You take it in. Don't deny it, but build on top of that. But then you also understand that there's this, like you said, there's a primacy here that will make you only limit the way you see yourself. I don't know if that's clear or not. It's clear. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the relationship experience here on your source for Cool Jazz and More, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. You can join the conversation, whether you're angry or not. We appreciate when you get <laughs> when you get <laughs> amped. I Ain't mean, really. Ain't nobody angry. Real, really. Well, I, I think yeah. that last caller was a little. Passionate. They were a little passionate. No, she yeah, was good. passionate. Well, like we said before, <laughs> those angry. feelings are valid. You know? Everybody oh, should be angry. Right. Well, you, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Yeah, you're, right. you're, not, you're not feeling. And, and even that word been because I, I take you know you saw I got a little uh, emotional about the word valid because I don't I certainly can't validate that caller and no one can validate me but I, right. I do agree just that acceptance and, and that's what I'm saying I invite all of those all of that energy uh, to the table uh, right now we have Ayana 
I hope I'm saying your name right, Ayana from Blair, or Bel Air, depending on where you're from, on the <laughs> line. Ayana, welcome to the Relationship Experience. Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me well? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, so I was just my question, uh, well, my comment mainly addressed to the whole topic, especially the young man who say he's 23 years old. Uh, he has a lot of work to do for the simple fact that white people do not raise their kids to accept others. I work with young people in their 20s. I'm in my, uh, I'm in my late 40s. So when I show up at work, you cannot even get a good morning out of these people. When you look yeah, at them suck. in their eyes, they look away. They never say something positive to you. Maybe one out of 30, and I work with 80 of them. You know, I'm, I'm, I am so shocked because I wasn't born here. I wasn't raised here. Where were you born and raised, overseas. Ayanna? I was born and raised in Senegal, West Africa. Hey, shout out to Senegal. Thank you. So, so they just don't stop. I'm going to tell you one short story, then I'm going to hang up. So we have a sign-in sheet, for example, for our work. Everybody brings donuts every now and then. So it was my turn three months after to bring donuts. When I brought the donuts in, no one ate. All day, the same day, it was my turn to bring donuts. Mm-hmm. So one of the white boys, 25 years old, brought two donuts. So they ate all two. And I was the only black person. I'm the only black person on that floor. My donuts were there all day, closed up. That means no touch. So sure. what I'm saying is, is we have long way. We have to keep on fighting. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And racism is taught at home. The people I see that are more racist in America are the children, 20, 25. You know, those are the people. So they need to teach how to accept others in their home. Don't come smile at me and your child is running away from me. Yes, thank and you and thank, thank thank you so much, Ayana, for that comment. And, and I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, when I, I'm from Northeast Baltimore and growing up in the '80s, uh, you know, in the crack era, and you could get shot by a fellow black person uh, for bumping into him or stepping on his shoe. But what I found shocking in 2012, 2011, when I worked at Georgetown University. Did all of those privileged white kids, none of them would move out of my way. They all bumped my shoulder. They didn't care if I was walking with my six-year-old son. They would try to knock us over. So, unfortunately, women, uh, you know, young girls, young boys, they, they got that Northeast Baltimore shoulder in them. Huh. Uh, so, uh, Lisa from Baltimore, you're on the relationship experience. Go ahead. What's your question or comment? Oh, I just wanted to make a comment because when you first said the term whiteness, first I was like, well, what is this? But then I thought it meant something um, related to supremacy or white supremacy. But then when I listened to the young lady, Kelly, I got a little bit disturbed about what she was saying because I thought it was very one-sided because um, you keep saying that the Caucasians were the perpetrators of slavery, but the Africans were also big perpetrators. No, that's not the same narrative. kind of slavery. It is the false narrative. So let me talk to you for a minute, sister. No, you didn't let me finish. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> because it was the Africans who kidnapped us and sent us down by the shore to wait for the slave ships to come for a month to put us 
they basically kicked us out of the country. And you were there when that happened, so let's right? Keep so it real. you know that well, for sure. Well, I studied that. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for that for that comment. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna continue to discuss that. Uh, um, you know, once you get off the air, but I, I definitely uh, I love that comment. Thank you for calling in. So yeah, we we know that it was. Uh, I don't know if you've read any Chinua Achebe books or what have you to get a little bit more cultural context, but it is a vastly different. Um, Slavery right. uh, that was instituted by the Africans and it was by the Europeans and That's largely right. and practice. Yeah, at, at practice at a whole. So uh, any any one of the panelists, feel free to it's jump in on that. It's a peculiar institution, That's right? right? That's I right. mean, it, it, never before. I had a really interesting argument one time with a Jewish friend uh, about that, but 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 they later got clear on the difference between you know shadow slavery and what made the transatlantic slave mm-hmm. trade uh, unique. But I wanted to pick up on something that Dorothy said that ties to this too. You know. People get life from culture, right? And so I, I agree with you that the dom- and so when you're talking about people don't speak to you and all that stuff, right? Like so the dominant, the the culture that gives us life as as people who have, uh, who can identify as, as as Hausa or Fulani or right like uh-huh. that that is and and people who used to be things like Irish and Italian before they became white right. gave up culture. Mm. To become those things, Absolutely. right? And right. so, and so, when we talk mm-hmm. about dominant culture, we're talking about not not the culture that nurtures and gives life. We're talking about the dominant culture of of having legitimate access to to power and authority ah. by the state, right? right? And that's mm-hmm. a different. And and I and I would agree that that's a sick culture, and it's and it's also. Uh, as Martin says, the great unexamined. Yeah, the white mm-hmm. is the great unexamined, and and I gotta say, I never say Caucasian. That's because right. that is a racist term, a racist, and I'm not, I'm not picking on you, but because I think we That's all, right. she we, took dominant culture from me today. We, we, we have all done it. We have all called <laughs> folks Caucasian because we want to soften it in our, but it's mm-hmm. white. The legal construct was white. The first act of Congress in 1790 right. was to say who was allowed to be part of the club. And it didn't. And, and by the way, we will never say on Women's Day, especially that women have it equal to men. They don't. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's a form of right. oppression. However, when 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 they said who could be in the club, they said white people of good moral character, That's right. and that included women because they knew they couldn't birth themselves, right? That's right. And, but they, they were not equal by any at any stretch. I don't want to I don't want to say That's that right. on women's day, but but I think it's important to say that that every movement in this country has broken down on race, including the women's movement. You know, Susan B. Anthony said that oh. black folks. Susan B. Anthony said that black folks could not be a part of the movement. Right. Susan the suffrage. B. can suck it, dude. <laughs> don't get me started with Becky and them. And and let let me be. Kelly, you ain't changed. Susan you Becky ain't. Anthony. Let, let me be real <laughs> clear. And and oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to Martin, and I I, I really want to bring this back to Baltimore real quick. The reason I was introduced as Kelly Bigelow from Bentlow Street <laughs> is that I went to. Woodlawn Elementary, and I was one of three black kids in in that school. Mm -hmm. My parents were products of the affirmative actions that black people got their comeuppance on. But I also, for those who don't know on the radio, I am a child of Baltimore activism. My family helped desegregate Maryland. I am a Dobson. Vernon Dobson was my uncle. Mm. Harold Dobson was my uncle. Spencer Dobson was my grandfather and great-grandfather. Tamara Dobson was my cousin they desegregated the counter knowing your history okay but what comes along with that is i grew up in the area that most people don't even want to drive through and it wasn't that way for us it didn't look the way it looks now Mm -hmm. i went to 
public school and got an education that's on par with private school in education. I came out of Walbrook Senior High School with nine credits going into college because I was in the AP course and I was a dance major. I am now a network engineer. I speak the way I do for context, impact, and shock. So when... How you speak? I speak like this uh -huh. with a dangling participle at if you catch me on the right day. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> I come from teachers, preachers, Dang. doctors, Dang. and crackheads. On our street, on our street, we're librarians, police officers, principals, crackheads, cash checking, corner store, church. Community. You had everything. Miss Lucy hitting across the street was a crossing guard. And if you acted up, she tore you up and then walked you home to tell your mom about it. Hmm. Neighborhood crackhead and, and heroin addict washed your car, but they looked out for you. You didn't look down on them because they had that monkey on their back. So what's changed now, Kelly? Because I, I grew up in that same so, Baltimore. So, so what's so, changed now? So this is what has changed circling back around to Marvin. Martin. 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 Ah, you Marvin today, though. But um, <laughs> Martin, where do you live? Uh, Shaker Heights, Ohio. Okay. So is Sugar Heights? Shaker. Shaker Heights. Oh, Shaker Heights. Is, is that in an urban area? It's a, it's a suburb of Cleveland. Okay. So... I, I cannot discount I cannot discount what you do because I have not been there to witness it, but I'm going to tell you on the real, there's only so, so much impact you're going to make if you're not living where it is mm -hmm. from the outside looking in. If you're not next to me in a dilapidated home dealing with the, the horror that nobody in Baltimore wants to talk about, which is lead poisoning, eh, to me, you talking. Yeah. And that, that goes way back to uh, All Our Kin by Carol Stack when she yeah. went to live in the projects and then wrote a book and got, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Well, there's a problem with that, too, yeah. is you don't want me living next to you because if I live next to you, that means I'm gentrifying and you're going to lose your neighborhood ah. that you've had so far. So you don't want me living next but to you. But not if you come in on let, your let own me say, Let me say this. Let me say this. So, you know, um, you know I, I think for me the, the realness that you're looking for, um, and, and, I, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have any expectations that you would trust me um, until you and I worked together and you saw me take risks and you saw sure. me risking my white privilege, you saw sure. me risking my relationship to white supremacy. So until you and I really work together, I don't think, like I said, you don't want me living next to you because that means that the that means that the, the dog grooming place is coming next. Yeah. And that's the a bad sign. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's gonna, that's gonna mess up your whole Starbucks. That's gonna, that's gonna that's mess up everything. That's not a true but statement. let me just say this, but I don't think it's so much where I live, but I think it's the you know, I think for those of us that are white that call ourselves anti racist I think um, what what we're what what you should judge us on is is whether or not you can actually start to feel the effects of the work that we do and the words that we say. Because until you can actually feel the effects, I wouldn't trust me. I wouldn't listen to me. I wouldn't listen to any white person until you can actually start to feel the effects. And all I can tell you is that you know we go where we're invited. Um, those of us that that are making a commitment. You know, I'm 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 moving away from the concept of a white ally because if I'm a white ally, we can't swear on this, can we? Do no. you trust okay. me? No. Um, I learned that last. No, time. I don't. Yeah. I absolutely. <laughs> so so I come. The the work that I do with white people comes from a place of love. But when you ask me, do I just overtly trust? Absolutely not. Fifty three percent of white women. You know, those those women you were talking about voted for Donald Trump. Yep. So absolutely, I don't trust white people. Yep. Um, but I but you know the 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 thing to me is that. Uh, that you know, I know we can't swear, so um, yeah. I would say that. And I asked first, so yeah, yeah. so I'm respectful. 
Um, but I, I think we need to move away from that concept of a white ally because I, you don't want me. You don't need. You don't need me as your ally. No, right. If I'm and your ally, that means I'm an ally to your struggle. But exactly. I want to start using the terminology abolitionist. Yeah, and I know. That, you know, yeah. we have to become. We have, well, I mean, you, you know, again, I, I'm not here to prove anything or get validated by anybody. Yeah. I'm just telling you where I'm at, and where I'm at right now is we need to abolish the construct of whiteness. I don't trust any white person that's not actively working to abolish whiteness. And we're gonna have that's to end on that note. We're gonna have to have a part two to this. Uh, I'm gonna thank you for joining and listening in and especially all the callers that called in uh, for your points uh, I want to thank uh, producer Iori Odegizua, um, board operator Andre Melton, show creator and line producer, my wife, Devonna Bell, uh, and of course, our esteemed guest, Dorothy Benoit. Oh, she got a hand clap today. I mean, she was walking <laughs> around Dorothy with the camera. Dorothy Benoit, Ben Young-Savage, like <laughs> Kelly uh, uh, Martin and Michael Scott from the People's Institute of Survival and Beyond. I'm your host, Jenga Bell. Thank you. Thank that you, was Jenga. Awesome.